Hi, I'm Ian, co-founder of Dig Insights and president of Dig's innovation insights platform, Upside. Welcome to Dig In. Dig In is the place to stay up to date on what's happening in the world of innovation, research, and technology, to find inspiration from today's business and innovation leaders, and to properly dig into hot topics that matter for consumer brands right now. And when applicable, we'll bring our own research to that conversation. Welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In. Today, we are chatting to Marnie, the founder of Buy Society. Um, it was recently recognized as one of Canada's fastest growing companies in the 2021 report on business by the Global Mail. We were lucky enough to make that list as well. And I reached out to Marnie um, to, to chat to her about her business and how she stays, she stays customer centric. Um, Marnie herself is a career nomad. She's got an entrepreneurial mindset and she's worked for 20 plus years in a variety of strategic management roles. Thai Society was actually Marnie's side hustle uh, for seven years until she decided to quit her full-time gig and focus on it 100% in 2016. Marnie, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) <laughs> Do you want to tell uh, anyone tuning in a little bit about who you are and, and the business? I, I always had in my mind that I wanted to start a business, but I wasn't anti going to work for someone else. And, and actually that's, you know, that sort of ended up happening. I did, uh, I did start a very small business in university while I was doing my undergrad in, uh, in commerce with some friends. And we started a tutoring company since I had been tutoring math and statistics throughout high school and then SAGEP, which is grades 12 and 13 in Quebec. And uh, some friends and I found that we had an app for university level statistics. So we started this company um, and I ran that throughout university. And I, I had a thought of about maybe doing that more full time when I was done my undergrad, but my two business partners um, were very focused on um, getting jobs in the corporate world. And I also uh, was interested in, in consulting because it appeared that it offered a lot of variety and the opportunity to work with different clients and get to do different work. And so I totally hopped on the bandwagon of, of campus recruiting and ultimately ended up getting a job at Accenture. So I put my uh, entrepreneurial uh, ideas on hold, <laughs> if you will, and uh, got some really great experience working uh, at a consulting firm for seven years. And I actually ended up moving around quite a bit from client facing work uh, to more internal focused roles, uh, helping Accenture's um, internal teams like finance and HR and marketing um, to improve their processes and and internal services to, to the external facing consultants. And throughout this time, I thought, you know, I was always trying to think about ideas for what a business could look like. So I I paid attention to things around me, but every time I had an idea, I felt like I, you know, killed it before it really went very far because I I couldn't justify how I would be able to monetize the idea. And so kept working. Um, I actually ended up taking on a lot of roles and getting a lot of roles within Accenture um, and subsequently at um, the Ontario government that were more intrapreneurial. So as I think back to my early days in my career, it's no surprise that I ended up gravitating towards roles that were really not well-defined. And it didn't scare me, which is crazy now that I think about it because I'm scared a lot in my business now. But (laughs) back then, the idea of having this sort of carte blanche to uh, create a role and come up with either a project plan or training or 
um, you know, a, a roadmap for a team to follow and then execute on was always really interesting to me. So I think that's what kept me working in, you know, corporate and academia and the public sector for the better part of 20 years. So after Accenture, I went to work for the Ontario government for two years in a strategic talent management roles. And then I completely pivoted um, to, uh, to working in um, as an MBA career coach. So actually it was around the time that I left the government that I had come up with the idea for Thai Society. And I know we'll talk a little bit more detail about that in a few minutes, but I think it's important to, to stress that I took six months off when I was working, when I quit the government to actually lay the groundwork to start my business because I had already been um, working for two years um, and felt two years at the government and felt like it was time to, you know, make a move um, and felt like in order to get my feet wet in this business idea that I had, I really needed to have those daytime hours or maximize the number of hours I was spending on it. And I couldn't do that with a full-time job, especially zero experience whatsoever in manufacturing on Thigh Society uh, for the last five years full-time. And that sort of brings us to where I am today. That's so interesting. Um, for anyone listening who might not know the difference, what What's the difference between entrepreneurial and intrapreneurial, if you don't mind me asking? Right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I, I shouldn't assume. So an entrepreneur is a term I heard um, fairly recently, but what it is, is essentially someone who takes on the role of almost like a business owner, but working within a bigger corporation or company. So I think there's this fallacy that in order to be in an entrepreneurial mindset, mindset of creator or someone who's um, innovating or using skills like marketing um, or finance. One always thinks that one has to have this idea that you're going to bring to market and sort of birth it to market. But actually, you can be an entrepreneur within the organization that you're working for by coming up with new ideas, you know, being the one to suggest new approaches and new ways to do things, you know, in your team meetings and not being afraid to speak up. And so that's where the term entrepreneur comes, where you're working sort of like an entrepreneur with that mindset inside an organization. And I think it, both are equally valid. That's really interesting because I'm sure that that's the best way to start to feel comfortable with the idea of going out on your own <laughs> and, yeah. and actually being, your, being an entrepreneur um, in its own right. So thank you 100%. for that. Yeah. yeah. I think... I think honestly, if I hadn't had those roles, I don't know how, I mean, it took me seven years to actually make a decision to quit my very full-time secure pension with benefits, great salary, great job um, to focus on Thai society. So there is that, but I definitely think that the throwing myself into projects where I had no roadmap and creating those myself and those opportunities I had in those, you know, 15 years or so uh, definitely prepared me psychologically and practically for, for starting my own business with iSociety. Absolutely. That's amazing. I mean, without further ado, I feel like I'm like <laughs> burying the lead here. Let's talk about <laughs> iSociety. <laughs> yes. um, so yeah, way back in 2008, I mean, we love to talk to businesses that are growing really quickly and really satisfy a, a consumer, a customer pain point. And I've actually purchased iSociety. I love the brand. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what it is and, and the ethos behind it. For sure. So Thai Society are anti-chafing slip shorts that are not shapewear that keep the person wearing them cool and dry and are intended to be worn mainly under skirts and dresses or under pants when you just need a little bit of thigh coverage or fabric coverage between your thighs. 
And the idea is quite simple. I mean, our products are, are certainly made uh, very thoughtfully and with high performance yarns and whatnot that we talk about a little bit later too. But actually the idea came to me because I could not find this, what I thought was a very simple product anywhere on the market. So it was back in 2008 and I was working at my then government job going for a walk uh, downtown on my lunch break. And I was wearing a skirt for the first time. It was early June. And so for anyone listening that lives, you know, in Canada or in Toronto specifically, you'll know that, you know, we basically skip spring altogether here and we move right from winter straight into summer. So I hadn't really been used to wearing dresses yet. And so I just had gotten dressed that morning and threw on my dress and, you know, left for work. But it was a warm day. And as I started walking, it was probably about 10 minutes into that walk that I started to feel a very familiar rash between my thighs which I'd completely forgotten about because I really hadn't gone bare-legged until, you know, since the summer before that. And I knew that this was a rash that I experienced throughout my entire life. My, you know, my friends and I would affectionately call it chub rub. Some people call it thigh chafing, but I've always loved the term chub rub. And basically means my thighs were, you know, rubbing together and, and loving each other a little too much. And combined with my skin sensitivity, I would always get a rash whenever there was some friction and moisture in between my legs. So that particular day, I raced to the nearest pharmacy, um, picked up some baby powder, you know, duck waddled, penguin walked, however you want to call it, with my legs spread apart, back to my office, you know, rushed up to the washroom and then proceeded to slather my legs in baby powder, which honestly got everywhere and it was a mess. And I was just bitter that I had forgotten to put on, you know, my trusty bike shorts, which were the solution I had resorted to in previous summers. And I really thought to myself, you know, there's got to be a better way. Like these bike shorts that I had been wearing were already tattered and torn. They were old. They were black. So they weren't really functional under. Um, and the only other option that I had in my drawer was shapewear. And the idea of squeezing into something like shapewear on a, like a warm day was just a recipe for disaster. So that certainly was not an option. So I made it my mission for the rest of the summer to uh, search online, which online wasn't, um, internet shopping wasn't nearly as uh, popular in 2008 as it is now, but I did what I could to shop online. And then I pounded the pavement and went to, you know, some big department stores here, like the Bay, uh, as well as some, you know, smaller um, bra fitting specialty boutiques. And really what I was looking for was the underwear that I would ultimately end up creating, which is super comfortable, lightweight, long leg performance boxer brief for women that would feel invisible. So I started talking to some friends and, you know, asking uh, some people, even some coworkers at work, if they had experienced thigh chafing and every, you know, not every single conversation I had, did I meet someone who did, but I would say there were a lot of people through those conversations that, that would either say, yes, it's something I suffer with all the time, or they suffered with it through a period of their life and nobody really had any practical solutions. We were all sort of cobbling together these, you know, MacGyver solutions like cutting our pantyhose or cutting long johns or wearing men's underwear. And I really didn't think that was acceptable. <laughs> you know, I felt that women deserve some, some better options. And so I decided at the end of that summer um, that I was going to quit my job. So as I mentioned earlier, I was, I was looking for a change at that point anyway. And I really spent the next six months immersing myself in, um, in undergarment production, essentially, starting from zero, teaching myself about how clothing is made, learning about Shopify, which was still at that time, 
a very, very small company. They weren't even offering um, website, uh, you know, websites. They were really just a payment portal. So I was trying to pick up a little bit of WordPress to learn how to create my own website. And I really sort of thought like, listen, I'm going to take a few months off to see if I can actually, you know, create a prototype and come up with a product and see if I can sell, you know, maybe a couple of hundred of these. Like I really did not think at that point in time that this would be um, a business that I could ultimately do full-time. Wow. There's so much in there. I mean, thanks, yes. for, <laughs> th thanks for the story. There's, there's so much in there. I mean, I think the first thing I want to touch on is um, you made the distinction between shapewear and, you know, I know we've, we've chatted previously about how you're not anti-shapewear in any, in any way. It's just that what Thai society does is different. Um, can you tell me about that distinction? Like, why is that distinction so important for your brand? I think shapewear has a time and a place. Um, I know for me, I have a couple of outfits where I just feel like I like the way my body looks in, in them when I'm wearing a base layer of shapewear underneath, but those occasions are few and far between. So shapewear for me, when I think of shapewear, I, my body sort of fences up at the thought of already like putting them on, right? They're difficult to put on. They're super tight. They're hot. You know, if you have to go to the washroom, that's a whole other ordeal of taking them off. Um, these are not the type of undergarment that you want to wear, you know, on a hot and sweaty day when you're just looking for some protection between your thighs. I also fundamentally have an issue with the way shapewear is marketed to women. And, and it's hard because shapewear markets themselves is basically telling women, Hey, your lumps and bumps and the natural curves of, of your body are not palatable to society in terms of how you show up in the world without any shapewear undergarments. So, hey, put on our undergarments and your body will look so much better. And I know I just said that I have certain outfits that I prefer. So it is a personal preference as to when one dons shapewear or not, but my fundamental issue is with the marketing. And so when I started Thai Society, I knew I wanted to be very, very deliberate about the fact that our garments were not shapewear. This is not for the woman who's looking for smoothing underneath her clothing. We're offering a solution to a woman who wants to feel comfortable and confident in her skin. It's, you know, thigh chafing has already a lot of stigma around it and why, and people don't really understand why it happens. Oftentimes there's a, there's a misconception that it has to do with your weight. And if you're overweight, then you must automatically have thigh chafing or if your thighs touch, you must automatically have thigh chafing. So, you know, putting a pair of long leg underwear on underneath your skirts and dresses to prevent thigh chafing is already, or when I started, was already um, an act of that was laden with with taboo and shame, and I really resented that. You know, I, I was like, I don't want to feel bad putting on an undergarment that is literally just protecting my thighs from sweating. I don't want to have any negative associations with this with it's this crazy. undergarment. I don't have bad associations, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it's so crazy, I mean, but it's, it's so it's funny and true. I'm I'm struggling to yeah not put, well I just did pipe in but like when we had our initial conversation I was there's so much shame around around chafing and women not speaking about it and I think that that's really where like the kernel of insight is for for why thigh society is seeing so much success now is that we, no one wanted to talk about it but it was like such a real problem um, and you kind of doing all of that desk research and and you know trying to buy different solutions to the problem uh, online and not really finding what you needed. Like those are the businesses that are so interesting, or those are the founders that are so interesting to talk to because you had to kind of go out on a limb and ask people the uncomfortable question. Like women didn't talk about this. I don't think. Um, 
especially on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, they, they didn't. Yeah, they absolutely didn't. So sorry. Yeah, I mean, thank you for, for talking about it and for creating a, a product that actually does satisfy that need because yeah, I don't, I don't even know why it's something we just assumed we had to live with. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I use the example that, you know, when you, we, we, most of us put on deodorant in the morning because we want to stop our underarms from sweating because underarm sweat and body odor are a completely normal function of the human body. You know, it's not something we really think about. It's not a shameful act, right? So why do we have all of this taboo around putting on an undergarment. And, you know, again, I'll go back to sort of gender equality. Why do men get long leg underwear? I never wanted to accept that. For me, that was just not, um, not an acceptable solution. So I went out and created what I thought would be, you know, something more, um, more, com much more comfortable and, you know, fair and optimized for, for the person wanting to wear it. Yeah. Um, and I think the way that you went about it too is, is really unique. So this idea that you spent it, you know, for seven years, it was your side hustle. And I know we talked about, um, you know, you bootstrapped it to a million dollars in sales by 2018. Um, mm -hmm. Congratulations. It's unbelievable. I think Thank I'm you. wondering, I think it's, it's great to say that you're risk averse, but how did you sort of validate that there was, um, a, there was like a, a, a big opportunity here? Um, it wasn't mm -hmm. just, you know, qualitatively, you'd heard from a few friends that it was an issue. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. What, how did you validate that there was a, a big opportunity there? So I think that the, the conclusion that it was a big opportunity evolved with time. So when I first started the business and I was looking for a manufacturer, um, I had spoken to a lot of fabric importers and local manufacturers. Most of them were, were owned by men. And most of them looked at me like I was nuts. Like, what are you talking about? You're, you can't make a business out of this. No one's going to buy these, these little shorts. They're just shorts. What's the difference? Like, why would anyone want to even wear these underdresses? You know, so I was met by that on the one hand. And on the other hand, you know, when I would speak to some other um, people in the business community, uh, they felt that this was too niche of a market and that it's too niche of a product and that I wouldn't be able to actually scale this, that I could probably, you know, continue doing this as a little bit of a hobby, but there was really no uh, concrete reassurance from anyone that this could be a big business. So I, I did what I knew best and what was I was most comfortable with, which was going slow and learning as I went. There were a couple of companies uh, that were catering to a plus size audience exclusively. So like size 16 plus who were offering, you know, very basic cotton long leg underwear. And I sort of skipped over this part in the beginning of, uh, of our conversation, but that summer that I spent, you know, pounding the pavement and searching online, I did post in a couple of online forums where I thought I might find my target customer. And, and these were like fashion-based um, forums where people would post about all kinds of things. And I, I did pose a question to those, to the members of some of those groups about, Hey, does anyone here you know, suffer from, from chub rub? And, do you have any viable solutions? And if you haven't found anything, what are you doing? And if you could sort of wave your magic wand and come up with an undergarment that would solve this problem, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What would be some of the key features? And so I gathered all of that information and, and that ultimately is what, you know, it, it infused all of the, the inputs, if you will, to that, to those first prototypes and to that product that we first, that, that I first launched with. So how did I know that there was buy-in for this product is that I saw my sales steadily growing. I saw competitors enter the market probably about five years in. 
um, I have no regrets about the pace at which I took because it was right for me and it felt that it matched with my level of, of risk tolerance. But if I could go back in time now, um, you know, maybe I would have accelerated some of that because, and taking advantage of the fact that Thai society would always show up in organic search results back in those days. Um, but I just kept getting reassurance from people who, you know, would hear about the company. You know, I, at the time there were some bloggers I was reaching out to and they immediately, you know, wanted a sample of the product and they would write about it. And I was getting a lot of positive reinforcement from the customers. So, you know, thinking back to all that sort of not so positive reinforcement that I got at the beginning of starting the business where I was told, you, you know, you're not going to be able to sell a lot of these. Nobody's going to buy this. Everybody wants shapewear. People have other solutions. I was getting reinforcements from our customers um, and that started to grow and grow. And so ultimately when our sales were reaching, um, you know, close to three quarters of a million and I was still working full time, I actually had a mentor who was, you know, had to <laughs> delicately coach me out of my, out of my full-time job. And I would say that I was, I was ready to make a move as well. You know, I think we all reached points in our careers where we are looking for a change. And sometimes you can move around within your organization and, and find a new opportunity and I had exhausted, you know, all those opportunities. I had explored the market. I was looking at LinkedIn, trying to figure out, you know, what opportunities were out there that I could, you know, leverage my previous experience in, in, in consulting and, and talent management. I still felt like I might be able to manage the society full time, but um, finding that mentor at the time, I think, as well as speaking to some other entrepreneurs made me, um, built up my confidence to say that, you know what, this is a low risk proposition. I can quit. I can always get rehired somewhere else. I'm highly employable at this point in time. And I believed in myself that I could and should um, give this business a chance on a full-time basis. And, you know, maybe turning 40 at that time had something to do with it. And, you know, again, if that, that, if not now, when sort of mentality. And uh, basically that was five years ago and I haven't looked back. <laughs> I've got a few other questions. Um, I mean, yes. I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the actual material. Um, mm -hmm. that you guys use, uh, obviously sustainability and, and eco, like being eco-friendly, um, and being environmentally mm -hmm. conscious. Those are such key topics. And um, whenever I talk to anyone in the retail space, um, that we'd like to touch on, and I know that you were really thoughtful about the, the actual, uh, material that you use. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Totally. So when I was designing this product, not only did I have future customers, in mind, but I was a potential customer as well, because I knew I needed this garment and I wanted something that was super stretchy and very lightweight because most people wearing this garment to prevent chafing don't really want to be wearing an, an underlayer unless you're legit wearing it for modesty purposes. You really want something that is, you know, feels like a second skin that, that you set it and forget it. So I was very intentional going out to find, you know, how can I find the most stretchy material? And how could I find the lightest material? We do create a lot less space with our, with our seamless machines. We use different cylinder sizes, which I'm going to, I'm not going to geek out on all of the details, but we, we really don't do a one size fits all approach. We, we do have two sizes per size. Um, and that's just, um, allows us some flexibility. Um, again, I guess no pun intended on that one, but, uh, <laughs> allows uh, women to feel more confident when they're, <laughs> when they're buying online, this is not shapewear. You're never going to have to contort and squeeze your body to get yourself into this garment. It's going to go on super comfy. Um, and then the yarns that we use are, are all chosen for their, you know, specific properties uh, in terms of the ultimate, you know, in terms of the ultimate finished product. So our cooling shorts, for example, are so innovative. We, we've sourced a yarn that's actually 
uh, incredible. And it has been proven to lower body temperature by up to one degree. And it is light as air. So we knit that with some stretch uh, spandex. And what you get in the end is this like light as air short um, that has incredible stretch and that feels cool to the touch on the body and keeps the wearer cool. So that's just one example of you know how we how we innovate in our uh, production process um, and how we, we use we make our own fabric to produce these um, to produce these shorts. It's really our own fabric, you know, secret sauce or secret recipe. I love that. Yeah, and I can attest to, I can attest to the light as air nature of of the short. Um, it's it's pretty remarkable. I these I guess these questions are are kind of linked. So I did want to touch on kind of how you stay in touch with your customer and um, you make sure that you're continuing to build the business um, with her in mind um, or with them in mind. Um, and I guess this is kind of related as well to like what thigh society might look like in future, you know, where, where mm -hmm. the business is going and where you're innovating. So I guess um, first question, how do you stay in touch with your customers um, or consumers in general? Um, and the second question, how does that inform um, future product innovation or where you want to take the business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great questions. I mean, we, we stay in touch with our customers mainly on, on social media. Um, we, you know, we're planning for some new colors for, for spring, summer 2022. So we're able to do some, you know, really informal surveys on Instagram stories, you know, about which colors our customer would like. Um, we stay in touch by seeing what our comments are on social media, what our comments on our ads are on, you know, Facebook and Instagram. Definitely reviews for our product. I mean, I love to pop in and re read our reviews at least once a week because I love hearing what, what customers are saying, um, you know, both positive and negative, although they usually are overwhelmingly uh, positive. And so that keeps us, you know, in the loop and customers are very vocal about, you know, giving suggestions about what else they, they would like to see. Um, that actually dovetails nicely into, you know, your, your other question about where do I see thigh society in a couple of years or how are we continuing to innovate? And I think, you know, that stems from, the answer stems from where, where I want to be um, as the founder and where I think we should be. And I think thigh society needs to become known as the number one best, you know, multi-wear slip short out there. We're a premium product, we're high quality. You know, you might be able to cobble together some, some substitutions with what you find on Amazon and whatnot, but nothing will rival the longevity and performance of our shorts. You know, we know they're, they're, they're a solution to a problem. They're not gonna ride up, um, they're not gonna roll down. You know, all of the issues I had with everything I tried before coming up with these products has been solved with, with, this, with these products. And so, I think where I'd like to continue innovating is, is still um, seeing how we can, uh, you know, corner the slip short market. So yeah, that's what we, that's what we did when we had launched our cooling short a few years ago, where we had started with one product um, being our originals and they were a little bit thick. And some of the feedback we got from customers is that they wanted something lighter weight. So we started researching what innovative fabrics were out there. And that's ultimately how we stumbled on cooling. Then we started getting feedback from customers who were looking for, um, a more natural, you know, with a short made with more natural fibers like cotton, or they wanted the feeling of cotton on their skin. And so we came up with the cotton and then people were saying, Hey, we love the originals, but wouldn't it be great to have something a bit lighter than the originals, but heavier than the cooling. And so we came up with a staple. So, you know, over time we've been iterating on 
um, on the slip shirt concept um, in terms of fabrication based on what our customers are using the shorts for, you know, whether they want something for outerwear like our originals um, or, or lightweight, you know, and, and they don't care if it's see-through like our cooling. Um, so whether we're iterating on fabric or whether we're iterating on leg lengths. So we started, I started Thigh Society doing one leg length of seven inch, and then I moved to nine inch. And then we, you know, customers were asking us for even longer at a 12 inch. And then, you know, we've gone the other direction now with launching five inch. And so in the short term, I definitely see us continuing to grow with, uh, with slip short products, um, because I still think there's a lot of room there to continue to offer, different options because all of us as women want different things. And I mean, our originals are a great example of that. They are our most opaque short. They're a little more quote unquote smoothing than our other shorts, just because of the nature of, of how they're knit and they're a little thicker fabric. Um, and we had started phasing those out like pre pandemic, we had not put another order in for those shorts. And then lo and behold, um, <laughs> the unpredictability of business bike shorts took off as a huge trend during the pandemic as people were, you know, staying at home and you know, walk, going for walks more in their neighborhood. And so we thought, oh, you know, our originals had been a huge runaway seller for the better part of, you know, five years before that, let's, let's bring them back. And so, you know, and customers had been asking us throughout the summer, you know, why don't you have your originals anymore? And so we ultimately, you know, ended up bringing those back with some improvements um, overall to the garment. So, you know, we, we do, um, we do some R&D work, you know, we're always experimenting. Um, we're looking at whether or not not, you know, introducing a legging to our key and sparks might be uh, a good option, um, you know, whether or not they're, you know, high performance, comfortable, sweat preventing um, base layers could be a good option for us. Um, and so truthfully, the honest answer is I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> we're working on that three year plan right now. And, you know, everything's on the table, but what our guiding principle is, um, and the team is on board is that we want to be known for being the most premium, best, Live short company uh, that you can buy, and so that's that's the driver for sure for all of our our new innovations. Thanks so much, Marnie. This has been so interesting. Um, I think yeah, we're I think we're out of time, but thank you so much for uh, for taking you know the last forty minutes to chat to me about about all of this. I'm really excited to see where Thigh Society goes. Is there anything you wanted to leave the listeners with? Um, sure. I think one thing, if I didn't come out and say it overtly, I think it's worth repeating is that thigh chafing has nothing to do with your size or weight. Um, it is a function of how sensitive your skin is when friction and moisture, um, happen between your thighs. So even people with a thigh gap can actually get chafing when there's friction between their skin and the fabric over top, like polyester or wool. And so it's my mission in life to dispel the myths around chafing that it has nothing to do with your weight. It's not, it's not only a plus size issue. You know, that's why we offer sizes of extra small to, to six XL. And we really need to be done with the stigma around thigh chafing. There is nothing to be ashamed of. You know, men wear long leg underwear underneath all of their clothing all the time. So there should not be any reason why women should feel any hesitation about putting on a super comfortable long leg underwear, you know, that, that has so many purposes beyond just chafing protection, but it's really about being comfortable in your skin, you know, and confident to take on your day wherever that takes you. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's, it's true. So that's, if anyone wants to learn more about Thigh Society, they can check us out on uh, our Canadian site is thighsociety.ca and our US site is thighsociety.com. And it's a, obviously a play on the words high society, it's, it's thigh society. <laughs> 
Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. I will see. I will talk to you soon, and I will hopefully um, see everyone else uh, next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dig In. If you want more information about Dig Insights or Upside, please check us out on LinkedIn or at our websites at diginsights.com or upside.com. If you have any ideas for future episodes or would like to be a guest, please feel free to direct message me through the LinkedIn app.